Welcome to the Ninja Lane Podcast. In this episode, we talk about my latest server project and why servers are built the way they are. We touch on some of the latest games we've been playing, including Skyrim and Dungeon Defenders, and some of the travel gadgets we take when we leave town. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia, and with me today, I have Darren McKinney. Dennis, I just finished your article on the HP ProLiant motherboard swap, and I thought I'd ask you, what you're up to? What are you doing with a, with a server? Well, for the past seven or so years, the site has been hosted on a dedicated server down in Texas at the Planet, which is now software. To make it affordable, the hardware's been actually, you know, subpar. You know, one year it was a Celeron, next year it was a, it was a dual Xenon with scuzzy hard drives, but... The hardware really wasn't that great, and that was the only way to make it affordable. So the the hardware is provided by the company, right? This is just leased hardware? The way the, the lease works is that I pay them a monthly fee. I get access to this server that they assign to me. So if a hard drive dies, they'll replace the hard drive for free. Okay. Memory dies or whatever. But the problem is once you buy into the server, you're locked into it for you know 12 months. Okay. And then if you want to do any upgrades, then that's a monthly fee on top of that. So, like, you know, I have 73 gig hard drives in there. If I wanted to go up to 150, that's an extra $30 a month. I'm like, you know, I have hard drives just laying around. I could just send you one, but it doesn't work that way. (laughs) Right. And that was what I was going to ask is why wouldn't you just do it with one of the machines you have laying around? Well, they don't do it that way because their cost model is we have the hardware. We're going to provide the bandwidth. We're going to provide the power, the redundancy, the security. Mm -hmm. You just get to come in and put whatever you want on the server and run it however which way you want. Okay. So... I see that you've got HP ProLiant servers, actually two of them now. So what's the new plan? The new plan is I'm going to move the site from this dedicated hosting solution to a co-location service. So I, there's a local data center here that sells by the U a, a spot in their rack. So, you know, thinking back of the early Google days, okay, the reason that they put two or three servers into one small little box was because... It was cheaper for them. They needed to have all this server space, but all they they were charged by the unit or the U in the in the rack. So they okay. were packing as much as they could into there. So Dennis, why didn't you use one of these really cool machines from around the lab? I mean, just from the the specs on these things, it seems like we've got much better PCs just laying around the lab. Well, we needed to have a server class machine to run servers, and okay. you know we have our desktop PCs, which you know I could use my 980x, which comes with you know, six cores and 12 threads and have way more power than this dual 2.3 gigahertz ProLiant server here. Yeah, that sounds like a great plan. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be considerably faster, yes. But, you know, the big issue that for me was form factor. I mentioned Google, they built some really small servers to put into the 1U racks. Well, I have the same situation here where I need to have the smallest server possible. So I got the the DL360G5 because it's a 1U server. Right. And... It's obviously designed to be a server. Inside here, we have dual Xenon processors. I mentioned they're 2.3 gigahertz, but uh-huh. you can they'll support up to 3 gigahertz processors. And, and you know, this is the, the 771 socket. So, you know, we're talking a couple generations old here. Right. But then the memory, you know, we still have the dual channel memory controller from that era. And this server supports up to 16. Well, it comes with 16 gigs. It'll support up to 32 gigs in dual channel mode. And inside there, which is important for a server, there's redundancy built into the memory. You know, we talked about FB DIMMs and how they have that ECC chip on there for yes, error correction. I remember those. 
Well, as one added step above that for hardware redundancy, HP has built in where you, three different modes for the memory. So we have standard ECC, where I can access all the memory banks and use all the memory, so I could have 16 gigs available. Or I could do a mirrored mode, where it takes half of the memory and mirrors it with the other half, just like uh, a RAID 1. And then if one of the modules dies in one of the memory banks, it'll still function until I can get in there and replace that memory stick. It works really well for a co-located situation like what I'm going to have, where I may not be able to get down to the server right away to go and replace it, you know, because uptime is important as well. Oh, yeah, you don't want to have the site down. Well, no. And then the third option is the one that I'm going to go with because I think it's a better solution for me, where it allows me to have a hot spare. So it will take, it will give me 12 gigabytes of memory usable, and it will keep 4 gigabytes in reserve. So if one of the modules dies in one of the banks, it will automatically kick over to that spare memory module. So it sounds like there's a lot of redundancy built into these things. Yeah, and that's on the hardware level. I mean, we have dual processors for extra power and speed. The memory banks are designed that way. The hard drives are hot swappable, so I can get in there and just pull out a drive if, if it fails, you know, and as long as I have it in a proper RAID configuration, then I can I can deal with that. The one thing that I talked about in the article was how everything in these servers is designed to be accessible extremely easy. I mean, we can slide the server out of the rack and pull the top off and access everything inside there. Uh, it's got hot swap power supplies, so if one of the power supplies dies, you can, without powering down the server, you can unplug the bad one, pull it out, put in a new one, plug it back in, and, you know, zero downtime at that point, and double the redundancy in the power. If something inside of it goes dead, like say the RAID controller dies, there's three little twist screws. I can turn those, lift the entire module out, put a replacement module in there, plug in the wires, put the top back on, and power it up and be back up and running. So, you know, the, the important thing with a server class machine is redundancy. You know, they have to run all the time, and they have to be easily repaired. Where if I used a desktop system, we're not going to get memory mirroring in a desktop system. No. So overall, with the HP Reliant server that I picked, we're going to get a lot more stability. We're going to get a lot more speed than what I have with my current host. I get full control of the hardware, so I can go down to the data center and swap out hard drives and add more storage if I need to have it or more memory. So keep checking back on the site. We're going to be doing some project updates as this server goes live. And hopefully, if they'll let me, I'm going to take a camera into the data center and take some pictures of me racking the server up and post them in the forum. It has been a while since we talked about what games we're playing. It has. So I'm going to ask you what games you've been playing. Well, it seems like uh, I've played a bit of Skyrim. Can't leave Skyrim alone. It's like crack. I'm still there, actually. It's kind of sad. And uh, lately I've been playing a bit of Dungeon Defenders. Let's talk about Skyrim a little bit. Okay. And currently I'm at uh, level 46. 46, wow. 30 here. Yeah, and you see I started out doing the Warrior Stone. So I have like my single-handed weapon and light armor all the way up to 100, which is pretty cool. Wow. And since I maxed out those, I changed over to the Mage Stone. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going through the Mage Quest, and I'm trying to get my Conjuring up to 100 because I've read somewhere that you can cast um, a Daedra or something like that. You can get the spell to do that. Whereas um, the the guy I I cast all the time, he's kind of like my little helper. Uh Uh-huh. I got him after doing the uh, the drinking buddy quest in the in the 
Oh, huh. I did that quest, but I I'm still playing solo. I just don't like the followers since I got my first one killed. I just feel guilty. <laughs> well, this is actually a cast follower. So you have the staff, and then you can cast the guy, and he'll stick around for like 60 oh, fun. seconds or something. Well, and I should correct, because I do have a follower, because I have the dog. Is it Barnabas? And I refuse to finish the quest, <laughs> because he's so helpful. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually a fun quest. Um you run into several dogs that will follow you around. Mm-hmm. But this one doesn't die. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's integral to the quest, so he can't die. Yeah, so I'm kind of taking advantage of that a little bit to uh, catch back up. But unlike you, although I'm a caster, I've been a little more spread out in my focus. So I've got some skills spread out quite a bit. Unfortunately, that means that my main skills, well, and I'm only level 30, mm-hmm. is only up to about 75. Oh, well... Are you concentrating mostly on the the mage skills for your for your um, what is it the constellations? Uh huh. Destruction and conjuration are the two that I spend most of my time in. So I tend to cast a a flame atriarch. Is that right? Yeah. The (laughs) those guys are nasty. And then I I do ranged attacks from a distance with my fire and ice spells. Okay. Yeah. See, I do the the bow because I did the. Nightingale Quest, which is part of the Thieves Guild. Oh, yeah, I just started that one. Yeah, and at the end of it, you get a, a kick-ass bow, which is really nice. Oh, so have you done any of the main quests yet? No, it's funny you say that. I was going to ask you, have you chosen sides? Because I haven't. <laughs> I did. I finally finished all the main quests, and I chose the side of the Imperials. Oh. Um, mostly because I didn't want to see Whiterun destroyed. Which Ooh. is something that I read about. It's like, okay, oh, no, that's a big spoiler. We oh, have to put a spoiler on the notes. Oh, oops. I didn't know that. Don't. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> well, I read about it a little bit because I was curious about what side to pick. You know, everyone says, well, so, what side did you pick? I'm like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I haven't done that yet. You know, at the very beginning, they want to, somebody wants to execute you. And I'm like, I don't want to side with those people. Right. And that was the Stormcloaks that were going to kill me, so. Ah, see, and early on you get the opportunity to save the Stormcloak, and I just didn't know what to do, so I ignored him. <laughs> and that's kind of the best way to go, because it doesn't expire, so you can just come back to it whenever you want. Yeah, so maybe I will join the Revolution just to see what's different. Yeah, or you can just like let it fester and then do some of the other ones, like the, the Thieves Guild and the Dark Brotherhood are nice quests. Mm-hmm. I haven't gotten Dark Brotherhood, but I have actually been actively working my way through the Mage Quests. Because um, it seemed the most appropriate for my character design. Yeah. Now, the mage quest, there's the main quest line, and then there's a bunch of sub-quest lines. And the one that I'm working on now for that 100 conjuring is one of the side quest lines. Okay. But it just kind of keeps coming back. So, you know, as you level up, you get other opportunities to go and do something else. But um, the main quest, you know, I think at the end you become the archmage or something stupid like that. Uh, that seems cool. Yeah, you should do it. On my way. But yeah, I just uh, it's been such a huge time suck. I'm finding that it's easier for me to just jump into a game of Dungeon Defenders. Tell me about Dungeon Defenders. You've been talking about it a lot. I have because I'd like to get you involved because it really shines as a co-op game. It has up to four players and it's built so that you can play four players from the same location if you want to using... You know, do your different input devices and your keyboard and mouse, or you can play online. But it has four players, and in short, what it is is it's a kind of a hybrid between the first-person shooters and the tower defense, with a bit of a RPG element that is kind of reminding me of Diablo, actually. In the first-person mode, 
Uh-huh. So, oh. so some of you may know that I actually really like Tower Defense games. I got hooked on them as sort of a time waster early on. So if you're not a Tower Defense fan, a good way of going and checking that out for free is to go to Google and just put in free Tower Defense. And there are two or three sites that have little Java versions that you can play for free. And what Tower Defense is, is simply you have bad guys that are trying to get to your base, whatever that may be, and you put down little defensive elements, whether so it be like, cannons or you know magical towers or whatever that shoot at these monsters. Huh. It kind of reminds me, well, as you describe it, it reminds me of uh, like Command and Conquer. Yeah. You know, where you have like two sides fighting against each other and you build up your armies and you can go and attack or you mm-hmm. can defend. Yeah, it's kind of like that, except for you're generally in a full defensive game. So there are some fun hybrids. Like I really enjoy Sanctum also, which is another hybrid tower defense game that's maybe more pure than Dungeon Defenders. Mm-hmm. But the goal of Dungeon Defenders really is you have one or more crystals that you have to keep from getting destroyed by the monsters. And they the maps are different in their pathing, so you have to determine where your defense points, where you're going to deploy towers, or where you're going to defend yourself. And uh, then it has a the Diablo-esque grind is, as you progress, you get better and better equipment. You have to choose which equipment, which uh, little follower, if you will, it's more like a familiar, you're going to use if you're going to level him up, if you're going to spend money to improve your equipment, if you're going to grind for better gear. And the game progresses very quickly in difficulty, so you can start with like easy or medium, but you can go all the way up to insane. And insane. It really is pretty crazy. And as an example, I joined a server at level thirty probably that was running on insane and they were starting on the first level of the main quest line, mm-hmm. which is I think it's about fifteen maps long. I ended up because we had a pretty good group playing for about three and a half hours, which is a pretty huge amount in that game. And I came out of it as a level 70, which is nearly the max. So when you're leveling up, is it based off of like defense points or like how many monsters you kill or how does that work? Uh, well, it's a combination because you gain experience as the monsters die. Um, and it's like a tower defense game, which I've just described. You get so many set enemies in a certain mix. And when they're gone, then the level goes. But you're gaining experience. This is where the RPG element comes in. Right. So you level and... In between each map, you have the opportunity to tweak your character. So the characters have different special abilities. They have traits like strength and health and speed and their magical ability to conjure towers. And then they have tower abilities that are tower enhancements. So you can enhance your tower's strength, range, how many hit points the tower has. And I know I'm missing Oh, I think attack speed is the other one. So it kind of gives you some flexibility. As an example, I have my character I just talked about is a mage. And he specializes in building towers. So he's actually pretty weak and crunchy, which sort of suits my vision of a mage. As we talked about with Skyrim, I'm sort of in a mage mood lately. (laughs) So he's my primary. And he doesn't do much damage, but he has nearly maxed out towers. So I've only spent maybe 20 or 30 points total on personal stats. And every other point gets put into the offensive power of my towers, not even their strength. Oh, cool. I guess that is what they would refer to as sort of as a builder. Yeah. And then my second character that I've just started working on is I think about level 30 is a monk and I am building this monk out as a gal into an attacking creature. So she has very little put into her tower strength, 
and almost everything into her raw attack power. And the theory being is that I can join a server that has uh, somebody that wants to build the towers. I won't build any, and I will focus on just the first-person shooter combat function of going in and swinging my mace or sword or whatever at the bad guys. But there are five or six different character class types that are out there, and each one of them has a male and female that have slightly different powers. Well, that's actually pretty typical of the RPG anyway. Uh Uh-huh. So in terms of graphics, what are we talking about here? Is this like Quake 3 era, or are we talking Battlefield 3? Well, it's definitely not Battlefield 3, but then again, if you pay attention, you can buy the entire game for about six bucks. So keep that in mind. So I would say that it is really kind of reminiscent of, well, maybe Quake is not too far off the match, but it's it's definitely highly stylized in a way that almost reminds me of Team Fortress, but mm. not necessarily cel-shaded, but in that sort of slightly comical, exaggerated state. And one of the nice advantages of that is if you get some cool equipment, it's going to be a giant oversized sort of Final Fantasy-esque size sword or something. (laughs) It looks pretty cool. Yeah. And I should point out that the game has you defending the crystals, but it also has some other game modes, challenge modes or attack modes or whatever that you can play if you get a little bored with that, just common grind. An example of that would be like assault mode where now you're the monsters attacking the game's crystals and it'll have all their towers and traps and stuff laid out, and you have so much time to get in and destroy the crystals, so you have to work your way through the defenses without getting killed yourself. Gotcha. Yeah, I was going to ask you if it if you could pick what side you wanted to play from. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, the main game is definitely defensive, but it does have these, these challenge modes, and there are quite a few that I haven't even tried, survival modes and that sort of stuff, that would probably sound familiar from games like Warcraft or Command & Conquer, where mm-hmm. you would build a base and they would throw endless waves at you and you just see how long you can survive. <laughs> so... You mentioned that this has an online component where you can play with four players. Yeah, and I think that's where the game really shines, although there are some really huge disadvantages of playing online. As um, with any game, really. Uh huh. And, you know, it kind of just depends on the community. But one of the things that I've discovered is because it's such a grind game is that, you yep. know, if you join a server and you're not playing with a game style that the host of that server really thinks is a mesh or your level's not the same or maybe he just doesn't like the way you look... You're going to get kicked. And there aren't really a lot of servers at any given time that are in that level range where you are. So you're kind of forced to either try to join one that's too weak for you or too strong for you, host your own and see what kind of riffraff joins. (laughs) Um, But what the end result is is that you spend sometimes like 30 minutes trying to find a game where they're not going to kick you out or harass you. Or worse, they play one level and then they disconnect and you have to search again. So, uh, like all good co-op games, finding the right group to play with is critical, which is why we need people we know to play, right? Something like that, yeah. Uh And the other advantage, too, is because it's kind of a grind and a little bit repetitive, a lot of the fun of playing is in having the different types of characters working together to build different types of defenses. Yeah. So some creatures can build magical towers, like my guy. Some build snares and traps. Some build cannons and ballistas and <laughs> and so finding a good combination where you can i mean at some point on a lot of levels you have the towers doing all the work and you can just sit and watch yeah well oh. you don't want to have all assault people or all defense people because mm-hmm. once they get through the defenses then you don't have any way to defend yourself mm-hmm. or you might just be overwhelmed by monsters one thing i should mention also is the game really encourages you to have more than one character that's a mix of classes because you can during the build phase 
you can bring as many different combinations as you want in. So I might have my mage put up some magical attack towers. Then I might switch over to my monk and put down some snares. And then I might switch over to a different character um, to actually play the level. So you can take your character's strengths into each map. And you can do this solo and online multiplayer. A good example would be you join a server with three other players, but none of them has a mage. You want to play your monk. Well, you still can, but you might switch over to your mage and build those towers to fill the gap and then switch over to your monk when it's time to actually do the defensive stage. So it gives you a lot of flexibility in your play style and how you uh, strengthen or weaken the combination on the server. Cool. Tag team. Yeah, very neat. <laughs> cool. So I, you've kind of sold me on it, although, you know... It's cheap. Yeah, you're going to have to get me away from Skyrim if I'm going to play it. Well, that is true. And I can tell you that I do play solo on occasion, and that really makes it feel like a grind. It's just not as fun. But it is still cool, and at the price, you could play it solo and probably get your money's worth. But the real shine is when you get that good group of four. So uh, I hope to check it out. We do a lot of traveling here at Ninja Lane, some for pleasure and some for work. Right. And I have my, you know, I've traveled to Taiwan several times and I have my things that I carry with me and then, you know, the stuff that I need to have and the stuff that I just don't want to have under the plane, so I just carry it with me. But Yeah, travel toys. Travel toys, yes. So I thought it might be kind of fun to talk about why people carry certain gadgets with them and do you even use them? Like, for instance... I stopped using a computer on a plane. Oh. It, you know, and partially it was because, you know, at the time my laptops were pretty big and you put them on the little tray table in front of you and then the person in front decides that they want to lean back and right. then you can't use it anymore. And on top of that, I'm kind of a tall person and I like to have the space in front of me free so I can kind of stretch my legs. So that means the bag has to be in the, in the bins above. And if you need to get it mid-flight, you know, because you can't have it on when they're taking off and whatnot. So you have to get past everybody, get up there, get the computer out of the bin. It's just kind of a big hassle. So I've kind of stopped doing that and uh, just opted to either stare out the window or take a nap or, in some cases, watch movies. See, and I am the opposite. And some of that is empowered by having tablets. Because we have found, um, since I travel mostly with my wife and kids, that you can store that in your carry-on, kind of tuck it under the bag in front of you. And because it's so much smaller, it gives you a lot more flexibility on the space. So we've taken the uh, the Transformer, the T101s with us on a lot of our trips. And I find that it's a pretty indispensable way to pass the time. That's very true. And it's smaller than a regular laptop. I mean, when I got my Asus Slate, I thought it might be small enough that I could use it on a plane. Mm -hmm. But the battery life on it is not that long and unless you have a power socket it's going to be kind of a short-lived uh experience mm -hmm. See, and uh, while on top of that we have the bluetooth keyboard and it's a wired device and you're not supposed to use those on the plane blah 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 so yeah and i have my opinions on that too and it's a little sketchy but as you know i have the keyboard adapter for the transformers we have three transformers but only one keyboard so it gets a little bit awkward sometimes <laughs> but it, it really extends the battery life but the downside is, of course, that it changes you into that laptop form factor, which sort of takes you back to the space issues that you have, although much smaller. Yeah, well, it's more like a netbook versus a full-size laptop. Exactly, exactly. So 
when you are on your trips, do you kind of preload your tablets with videos and songs and or whatever you want to have, or do you kind of you get there and say, "Oh, well, I want to watch Speed," and the Speed's on this laptop. Do you mm-hmm. just transfer it, or how well, does that's that work? a great question. My wife prefers to play games while she travels. Okay. So what we tend to do is try to go find a new game or a couple of new games that she hasn't already played to death to keep her interested. And to be honest, she'll play her game for a little while and then usually crash. <laughs> now, I am different in that I don't mind playing the games for a little bit, but I really prefer to watch a movie or maybe read an ebook, which are two great reasons to have a Transformer in the first place. Sure. But as you mentioned, putting stuff on the device is something that I just, I don't know, I don't really ever think about. So I tend to use an external drive solution. Well, on my last trip, a couple of them. <laughs> so what... Uh... What do you use normally? So normally I use a Seagate Free Agent, which is one of the really small drives. It's powered by USB, so you don't require any additional power cable. Yeah, that's those uh, laptop drives in the external con- Exactly, exposure. and I've got a 500 gig, which uh, is pretty good for travel. And I tend to load it up with a handful of movies and a handful of books because I'm never really sure what I'm going to get in the mood for. So I've got... As we've talked about before, a lot of movies ripped to my server, and I tend to try to pick a few classics, like I think I took Ferris Bueller with me on this last trip, and then a few newer movies too. So that helps out quite a bit. Oh, and I mentioned I have two drives. I guess I should point that out. So this last trip, I tried a Kingston Y drive, which is a, a kind of a cool concept. It's a little 16 meg uh, portable drive, and this thing is tiny, like maybe half the size of your average iPhone if you're an iPhone user. And that was one of the hot items that Kingston was showing off at CES. If I remember correctly, it is just kind of a a Wi-Fi device with a flash drive in it and allows you to, um, you know, it's designed mostly for iPads and and iPods. Right. But there is drivers available for the Android devices, which is what you have. They're, They're beta drivers, so they're maybe not as good as they could be. But let me tell you, this thing, one, is really very, very tiny. I mean, it's just kind of hard to describe. It really is about half the thickness of the smallest iPhone and about the same size. It's all black, and it has a Wi-Fi built into it. So what you do to get this thing to work is you charge it up. I usually charge it overnight just to be safe. And, of course, you've got 16 gigs to work with. But what makes this thing so neat is you download the software, in my case, off of the Android Marketplace, and you install it on your machine. And then when you fire up this Y drive, and the Y is kind of short for Wi-Fi, it acts like a little Wi-Fi router. So you would pick that Y drive up on your list of wireless devices and connect to it just like you would any wireless network. It's kind of like a wireless NAS, really. Exactly, exactly. One of the nice advantages is it allows more than one simultaneous connection, I think up to three. Well, they say up to three because that is what the bandwidth will support for Mm -hmm. full streaming. So the thing is kind of cool, even though it's small. So I put a couple of movies on it. In fact, I watched The Fighter, I think, which is... Uh, you know, Christian Bale and Mark Wahlberg that I've been wanting to watch for a while. And then I loaded some ebooks and I actually uh, have finished my series, uh, the Night Watch series, which is a, a kind of a killer uh, Russian translation, and started into the I Am Number Four series, which was one of the other movies that I watched. Oh, cool. So were you able to stream with your Android device, or did you kind of have to copy it off? And so that, that's, that's the challenge. Now, of course, we're working with Android beta drivers, so they're not as strong as they could be. So we've got kind of two issues that you have to overcome to make the Y drive work. One is that what you're really doing is running a wireless network 
on the airplane. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, going to be kind of an issue with some airlines. Mm-hmm. So you're really limited in your use, and in fact, maybe you shouldn't be using it at all. <laughs> now, it depends on whether you've watched Mythbusters lately or not. Well, either way, if they catch you doing it, you are kind of in a big trouble. So this thing doesn't broadcast very far. Maybe that's my justification. <laughs> but you can get, like, my wife and I sat uh, ahead of and behind each other on one of the legs. So a good six feet apart. <laughs> and uh, it would reach both devices. But the downside, and I think it might be because the drivers are not very mature, is I tried to stream good old IM number four so I wouldn't have to copy it onto my device. And I found that it was sort of the same frustration I get when my network is getting interference at home and I'm trying to stream to my PlayStation. Right. It just keeps dropping. Well, and that might have been an issue just with the airplane in general. I mean, uh-huh. you are flying in a metal tube and there's charged particles all around you, so... Everyone kind of complains about Wi-Fi on a plane, and that might be part of the reason. Well, that's true, too. Well, the nice advantage is the Y-Drive does charge off of a pretty standard USB plug, so you can keep this thing powered up. And I was able to transfer the movie over so I could watch it directly, and I uh, didn't really clock it, but I think it was just over 30 minutes. So it's not that fast to transfer that much data. But that's understandable. It's a it's a pretty new technology, and it's a small drive. But I was able to read ebooks directly off of it, and in fact, I was able to read an ebook while my wife was transferring something off of it too. Oh, cool! So it does do simultaneous if you're not really maxing out the bandwidth. I can't stress really the cool factor of this thing. I mean, you can stick it in your shirt pocket while it's on, and you can hold your tablet in your hands, and so you've really accomplished all the hands-free stuff. With, of course, the exception of your headphones. Very cool. So when you're on the plane, obviously you don't want to have the speakers blaring. So I know that you are a headphone kind of guy. You don't really have speakers at home on your computer and any of that stuff. So what do you normally do? So, of course, I really love a good pair of headphones, especially when I travel. And I am a big fan of the Sennheiser noise reduction headphones. Unfortunately, I had an accident with mine and uh, some lawnmower uh, last summer. I think it was one of those killer bushes, right? Yeah, let me tell you. So anyway, I've broken them, and they're pretty expensive. So I thought I would try some of the other headphones I have laying around. So I took some JVC earbuds with me, plugged them directly into the transformer, and discovered they just aren't really good enough. In fact, the headphone outlet on the transformer just isn't really powerful at all. Right. Well... Part of the issue with earbuds is that unless they fit in your ear really well, you're mm-hmm. going to get a lot of, um, well, they're going to fall out. You're going to get a lot of crosstalk in there just from like external noises and whatnot. And let's face it, the speaker is pretty small. It's not going to be very powerful. There are some of them that will probably damage your ears, and those are pretty darn expensive. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I get some swag items at these trade shows, and one of them was a set of earbuds that came with an airplane adapter, you know, because you got to have the two plugs to plug in. Yeah. And that was kind of a lifesaver for me at one point because, you know, I went to the, the local store and got the adapter mm-hmm. so that I could use the earbuds that I brought with me. And they were the, the telephone style, you know, with the microphone on them. They just didn't work. But they weren't very powerful, so I couldn't hear anything. That's true. So you might know that I have some really pretty nice 5.1 and 7.1 type headphones at home that I use for my gaming. Yeah. Because I'm a big gamer, as you know. (laughs) But I don't have, because my Sennheisers were out of action, a really good pair of travel headphones. So I took the JVC earbuds. Mm -hmm. I took a pair of over-the-ears that I think I got with uh, my Battlefield 
uh, Bad Company Special Edition, or maybe it was the Guild Wars box. But anyway, they're pack-alongs. And my wife, of course, still has her Sennheiser headphones. So we had taken a Y adapter, thinking we could share and watch a movie together. But we quickly discovered that the outlet isn't amplified, so it really didn't work very well on one set. So I started with the earbuds, and we all know that on an airplane there's just so much noise. Mm -hmm. So it was just unbearable. I switched the over the ears, which looked pretty silly, but weren't too bad. (laughs) And to be honest, when my wife went to sleep, I quickly switched over to her Sennheisers, and the difference was amazing. And she doesn't even have the noise reduction. But they are an over the ear. And, of course, a much higher driver. So I was able to get them, not necessarily loud, but the combination of the over-the-ear uh, noise dampening and the higher quality uh, speaker setup was enough that I could comfortably uh, watch the movies that I wanted to watch. So all in all, my travel kit, the Transformer, someday maybe a nicer one <laughs> if my wife is listening. Um, I take a Seagate Free Agent 500 gig, which uh, tends to have just whatever I've happened to put on it over the last few months to transfer around the house um, or onto my PlayStation. The Kingston Y-Drive, the latest edition, which I'm finding very cool, but it's still a little immature in its drivers. And then I'm on the lookout for a great set of noise reduction headphones that won't break the bank to replace mine. And if you travel, I would suggest that is probably the ideal setup for space. And me, on the other hand, I take everything that I don't want to have the throwers mess up and put it in the overhead bin. (laughs) There's something to be said for that. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes. If you have any questions, drop by the forums or email us at podcast at ninjalane.com. To stay up to date on the latest at Ninja Lane, please subscribe to our RSS, now available on iTunes, follow us on Twitter, or join us on Facebook. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2012. Thanks for listening.